success looks so easy from the outside, but all successful people have had to overcome enormous obstacles along the way. And in many cases, look failure right in the eye. Most successful people don't focus on the struggle and rarely do they talk about it because quite frankly, that's not what creates success. Join us here where we will chat with fierce female entrepreneurs and share the good, the bad, and the ugly of entrepreneurship and talk about the obstacles we have faced and how you can overcome them to reach the success that you desire. I am your host, Cami Lehman, and this is the She's Invincible Podcast. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today at the She's Invincible podcast. And we have an amazing guest for you. We have Whitney O'Connor. She is the founder of the Booby Queen Company, licensed professional counselor, a two-time breast cancer survivor, and the original Booby Queen. She was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer six weeks after she got married and one week after she turned 30. While going through treatment, she noticed that there were other women going through the same thing all alone. She quickly realized that she was not the only booby queen out there. Whitney wanted to help her fellow booby queens create their own silver linings. So in October of 2019, she started a one-for-one -one business where for every booby crown sold, she would donate a booby crown to a woman who needs some extra love during their journey of treatment or survivorship. Her mission is to be able to crown women all over the world so that they can be reminded of the queens that they are. Welcome, Whitney. We're so excited to have you here on the She's Invincible podcast. Yes, thank you for having me. I am pumped. This is going to be such a fun conversation. <laughs> I just have to admit, in full disclosure, I have yet to have a conversation about boobies on this podcast. So Girl. I am here for it, and I'm so excited. And I, it's such an honor to have you here and have you share your story with us uh, during Breast Cancer Month. So we're, in, we're in, uh, in Breast Cancer Awareness Month now, and I'm excited to have you. Uh, I'm not excited that you're an expert in this field, but I'm excited that you have the experience to share with other people. So let's just get started. Yes. Tell me, who, who are you, aside from this amazing bio, who is Whitney O'Connor? How did you get where you are today? And what makes you invincible? Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, I do feel like all I talk about these days are boobs. So this is going to be a fun conversation. Um, I actually became the booby queen uh, way before I had breast cancer. Um, I was about 14 years old and I uh, hit puberty before all my friends did, which means I got boobs before everyone else in my class. <laughs> and so uh, we were actually on a girl's trip. Uh, some parents took us on a girl's trip to the beach and we were all getting ready. We had our clothes laid out, everything, and excited about going to dinner. Um, and one of my girlfriends walks by and picks up my bra and holds it up and she goes, oh my God, Whitney, 
is this your bra? And I said, yeah, yeah, that's mine. She goes, oh my God, you have to wear this? You're like the, you're like the queen, like the queen of boobs. And so what I did was took the bra that she had in her hand and put it around my head and made a crown out of it. And then from that point forward, my friends called me the booby queen. <laughs> Unbelievable. That is so funny. So that happened a long time ago. Long time ago. So when I got breast cancer, the, the term booby queen had way more meaning than I ever thought it would um, having that nickname. And so I've had it for quite some time, but obviously now it means a whole lot more um, uh, to me. And I kind of ignited my own booby queen within me uh, once I had to go through this breast cancer journey, um, which happened in 2017. And uh, I went in for my annual exam um, in January. I went to the girl doctor and the girl doctor said, hmm, there's some there's some things going on here that I'm I'm not familiar with with you. So let's let's get you uh, let's let's see if you can have a mammogram. Well, I was 30. Actually, at the time I was 29. That's right. I was 29. And at the time, um, you know, you don't normally get referred to have a mammogram at 29. Usually insurance providers don't pay for it until you're 40. And so I was like, okay, well, all right, that's what we have to do. So went for the mammogram. Um, as soon as uh, I went uh, for the mammogram, they put me into a separate room after they viewed the mammogram. And in this room, there was no one in there. And I was thinking to myself, oh God, there must be something wrong. They put me in a room with no one else so they can have the talk with me. Um, so, uh, the radiologist came in and said, yeah, we, we're just seeing some things that aren't looking so good. So let's have a biopsy and, and let's just see what's going on. Um, now mind you, Cammie, I haven't told anyone that this was happening. I didn't tell my husband. I didn't tell my family. I didn't tell any friends. I was just holding, uh, this information to myself because I wanted to know what I was dealing with before I shared this with anybody. Um, so, uh, about a week later, well, uh, about 10 days later, um, I had had my birthday party. I turned 30 years old and, uh, I got that phone call that you just don't think you're ever going to get. And the doctor said, uh, God, Miss O'Connor, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but all the tests that we've um, been doing with you indicate that you have breast cancer. And my heart just dropped. I mean, I just, I was in shock. I mean, honestly, shock. So I'm outside pacing around, pacing around, and um, my husband comes home. And by this time, I had shared with him that I went to get a biopsy. And so he kind of knew that I was waiting for results. And when he came outside, I just immediately started sobbing. And he knew exactly why I was crying. Um, and just said, I'm so sorry, babe. I can't believe, you know, this is happening, but it's okay. We're going to get through it, you know, one step at a time. And so, um, went through treatment, went through, uh, chemotherapy, went through, uh, a double mastectomy. Um, and, 
went on into survivorship and started this business. Um, and yeah, that's exactly how uh, I uh, started uh, the inspiration, I guess, to start this, the BB Queen company. That's amazing. It almost seems silly to say now, what, tell us what makes you invincible. I mean, <laughs> like that's enough, but, but seriously, you know, uh, at the She's Invincible podcast, you know, being invincible is not winning. It's about getting back up. So tell us a little bit about that, you know, going through that journey. How did you get back up? What made you invincible? Yeah. And, and the simple answer to that, Cami, is the realization that I am invincible is what makes me invincible. And I know that's a super simple answer, but I feel like that is exactly what being invincible is, is the realization that you are. And while I, you know, went through this cancer journey, did, you know, went through all these crappy things and got back up over and over again, realizing that I could is what made me succeed at getting back up over Amazing. and over. Amazing. Yeah. Over and over. Cause that is a daily thing as you go through that. Wow. Okay. So boy, I have questions. <laughs> so let's do this. So let's give our listeners a little background about your, your career life. You know, uh, you, you got married and around 30 and, uh, you had this diagnosis. What was happening in your, in the career world for you? What were you doing at that time? Yeah, so I'm a um, licensed professional counselor. Uh, I've been a counselor since 2012. I was working at a crisis stabilization facility. And what we did was help people manage their mental health crises. Um, they would come in and, and have all kinds of issues, um, dealing with all kinds of problems. Uh, some of them had a mental health diagnosis and some of them did not. They were just dealing with life and being overwhelmed. Um, so that was what was going on in my world. Um, at the time of diagnosis, we had just got a house. We just got a dog. Uh, we were getting ready to go on our honeymoon. We did not go on our honeymoon right after uh, we got married. We opted to wait until the summertime. And so that was on the plans. I was talking to a travel agent every other day, trying to get things booked and all of that. Um, so that we could go on our honeymoon. Of course, that was canceled. Um, that was probably the one of the biggest bummers, honestly. It's <laughs> like, stupid breast cancer, you're making me not be able to go on my trip. <laughs> so uh, that was happening. Um, and uh, we were just newlyweds, you know, we were living together and trying to, to enjoy uh, our new marriage. And trying to figure out uh, what that looks like for us. And what is just so weird is that, you know, we, we made a vow for sickness and in sickness and in health and the, the sickness part just came first, you know? And so we had to figure that out. What, what did that look like and how does that feel? And uh, what do I need to do uh, to get over the guilt that I had? Um, for, for him marrying a, a sick person automatically. Um, Cause that was the, that, those were the things that were going through my head was, Oh God, my husband just married a sick woman instead of a healthy one. And so just, just trying to manage all that stuff um, because we had to get right into treatment. 
I was stage three when I got diagnosed. Um, so we had to get treatment rolling. We couldn't wait. So big decisions that we had to make, lots of big life decisions uh, in such a short period of time in a freshly new marriage. <laughs> so. I can't even imagine. All I can think of as you're talking is thank God for your psychology degree. Like that had yes. to have been, do you think that that played a part in how you got through a lot of what you went through? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. And, and I really had to practice what I was preaching. When I first start, when I first became a therapist, my whole goal was to help people solve their problems and make their, their problems go away completely. That was my mindset. Well, once I started having these issues of my own, I realized that these problems are just not going to go away. They don't just disappear. Challenges are going to come no matter what. My job as a therapist is not to, you know, allow them to never have problems again. My job is to help them move through the chaos and help them, you know, figure out that they are invincible, that they can rise back up, that they can get through it, that they were built to go through these struggles. And so, yeah, I had to remind myself of those things as well um, to make sure that I could keep going and uh, to really practice what I was preaching and take care of my, my brain um, because this cancer stuff takes a toll on you mentally. Oh. And so, um, yeah, that was, I had to therapize myself quite often, Cammie. <laughs> I love what you said too, is practice what you preach, right? Like, and, and do you feel that that gave you like a new uh, view of empathy uh, as you were dealing with your patients as well? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, when I uh, first started experiencing anxiety, like true anxiety, um, my body was doing weird stuff. My brain was telling me weird stuff. And I remember thinking, wow, this is what anxiety feels like. This is what they are telling me. This is what my patients are telling me. This is, they are describing this very moment. And uh, yeah, it helped me empathize better. It helped me understand the dynamics of anxiety better, of depression, um, of, of going through trauma, of, of, you know, adapting to, a new normal, all of those things played a huge role for sure. Wow. Okay. So you <laughs> talked about, I know I'm like, I I'm filled with questions for you, girl. I just, I'm just so grateful to have you. And I know, you know, your message is going to go forever uh, because cancer's not going away. Um, you know, prayerfully we're getting, you know, uh, ways to stop it or cure it or, or whatever. But, uh, but this is, this is a, a, a thing that we need to talk about for a really long time. So, yeah. uh, yeah. And I love what you said about how you took a, you, you and your husband took a vow for sickness and in health and that sickness came first. And isn't that interesting? And I hadn't thought of that, but when you said that, it was like, yeah, because like when you take that vow, you're thinking like, we're going to grow old together. Right. And then that's where the sickness comes in is as you age and, 
and that that's true, right? We all think that, but who, whoever thinks when they take that vow that it's going to be like, oh yeah. And next week we're going to start with the sickness journey. And uh, it's just that that's mind blowing. And, you know, for you to have been so young and to have to endure that in a new, new marriage and just all the things. So let's talk about mindset because, you know, my, I tell people all the time, success starts in the six inches between your ears, right? So when you believe, and just like you said, believing you're invincible uh, is the first step, right? That's what makes you invincible is actually owning that, right? And, and taking that claim as your own. So let's talk about some mindset tips that you could give our listeners that would help them, whether it's through a cancer diagnosis or even, you know, anything else in life. So let's talk about that a little bit and share with us a little bit of your wisdom. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'd say the first thing that I'd like to share about mindset is this idea of courage. And, you know, courage is one of those funny things. It's the first, the first time I ever even learned about courage was the Wizard of Oz. Remember when the lion is like, I, you know, I'm, I want to go to Oz and get courage. Well, if you, if you remember in the movie, when he goes to see Oz, Oz finally tells him, it's like, you had courage this whole time. And courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing something with fear anyway. And so when I realized that, man, that opened up the door for me to take more chances to, um, you know, try to have this invincible mindset uh, to realize that all these lies and crap that I tell myself is not true and having the courage to do certain things, to move forward, to keep going was huge for me. And it was just an understanding of what that truly meant um, to me. And I'm a therapist, went to school for seven years to talk about this stuff. And I just realized what true courage was last year. So, <laughs> so it, it's, it's not the absence of fear. It's moving through the fear and doing it anyway. And we all have it. It's all within us. It's just taking that step to realize that you have it. So that would be the first thing is understanding that you have this enormous capacity to exercise your courage. It's there. Um, the next thing I would say is you have to eat dessert first sometimes. And what I mean by that is I don't mean, you know, go out and get you a cheesecake and eat the whole thing in one sitting. That's not what I mean. Although that would be fun every once in a while. Um, but eating dessert first means getting to know about those things in your life that you absolutely love to do and do them, but also recognize how sweet they are, how wonderful they are, and how precious they are. And we, gosh, we put so much pressure on ourselves all the time. We wear so many hats. I mean, some of us are moms, we're entrepreneurs, we're business owners, or we're, you know, we're essential workers, or we're husbands, we're wives, we're all, all these things, all these hats. And we forget sometimes to celebrate ourselves. And 
eating dessert first is all about celebrating. So that is something that we did a lot and that we still do. We celebrate a lot, even if it's just a little bitty thing, even if it's, hey, um, I didn't kill anybody today. So <laughs> during quarantine, we didn't kill each other. So let's celebrate, you know. So we, we, we celebrate a lot. That is something that I think uh, it, that everyone should, should really, really, really implement in their life is finding a way to celebrate themselves. Um, and I would say the last thing is you have to know, and this is kind of how I describe mental health, you have to know where your flashlights are. And let me explain that for just a second. Um, I have not ever met somebody where their power hasn't gone out in their house. Like my power went out, out in our house like two weeks ago when there was a bad storm. Everybody's power goes out in their house. Well, growing up, I don't know about you, Candy, but growing up I had, um, well, my, my family had a just in case the power went out drawer. There were candles, there were matches, there were batteries, there were games, all that stuff, right? And there were flashlights. There were flashlights in that drawer. And so in order for us to find our way around the house, we, my mom would hand out the flashlights and we would go to the bathroom if we needed to, or, you know, go fix us something to eat in the kitchen or whatever. And so when I think about mental health, I think about it being compared to the electricity in my house. Sometimes the power is going to go out. It just is. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. And we need to know where our flashlights are. We need to know where to go to get those things that can help us through that dark time. The power is going to come back on. Everything's going to end up being okay. But for that period of time when you're in the dark, oh my gosh, you feel like it's never going to end and you're never going to get the lights back on. You don't, you know, you don't know how long the power, power is going to be out, how long we're going to have to be eating on the floor around candles and all of that kind of stuff. So understanding yourself and understanding what your flashlights are is very helpful. One of my flashlights is exercise. That's one of mine. I, I have to at least have uh, at least 20 to 30 minutes of walking time in the morning to clear my head, get the good juju going, get the good chemicals flowing. Um, I need that for myself. Um, uh, another flashlight that I have is is seeing my therapist, talking to her. And, you know, it, it's funny when I started going to therapy, like, hmm, therapist going to therapy. Now that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but again, I wanted to practice what I was preaching. And, you know, once I started realizing that my lights were dimming a little bit, that the electricity was kind of flickering in my house, then I needed to go talk to somebody other than my husband, other than my family. I wanted to have an outside perspective. And so that's another flashlight of mine. And so those are just a few mindset tips that um, I'd say were very, very helpful for me during my cancer journey, during my business journey, during my life journey, all of it. <laughs> amazing. That is amazing. So, and I know that your family, you know, cancer is no stranger to your family. So, you know, there's, there's a little history there as well. So this is not the first or second time that you have faced this in your lifetime, which is unbelievable for, you know, being in your early thirties. Uh, so do you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, 
like you said, I'm no stranger to this cancer stuff and neither is, is my family. When I was diagnosed the first time, um, they could not understand why I got cancer so young at 30 years old. And so we did genetic testing. Well, it, it wasn't the BRCA gene. It wasn't either one of those. It wasn't um, a, a, a gene that's popular, I guess, uh, amongst people my age who get breast cancer. Turns out I have what's called Lee-Fermini syndrome. It's a very rare genetic condition. And basically the punchline is it's uh, the cancer gene. That's what it's called. It's known as the cancer gene. And I am predisposed to getting cancer. My T cells are not working properly to filter uh, the cells like they are in your body. So um, they just work differently. They're not, they're not working like they're supposed to. So the probability of me getting cancer over and over and over again is quite high. Um, and uh, we, we, we don't know which side it came from. We predict that it came from my father's side. My father died two years before I got diagnosed with cancer. Uh, the first time and he died from a glioblastoma. We didn't have time to do genetic testing with him and nor did we think it was important. Um, but he died at 56. So he was pretty young for, for, for that diagnosis. Um, so anyway, we think it came from that side of the family. And I, I you know, I, I do want to promote breast cancer awareness, of course, but I also want to encourage everybody to get genetic testing if your insurance doesn't pay for it, go out of pocket. It's worth it. It's like 400 bucks. If, if, if you go out of pocket, make the, make the commitment to do it because you just want to know what you're facing. And because I know what I'm facing, it's easier for me to make decisions as, as far as what I want to do with my life, what I want to do with my business, what I want to do uh, you know, as far as bucket list type things with my husband, those kinds of activities. And so I, I do want to encourage everybody to look into genetic testing if you don't, if you haven't already done so. <laughs> That's great advice. That is great yeah. advice. So Whitney, you're a two-time breast cancer survivor, which is outrageous in, in my mind for, you know, having your first diagnosis at almost 30 and then, you know, you're just a few years later. So uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, life was, it just got too boring, Cammie. I just had to go through it again. <laughs> so I, uh, because I have Lee-Fermini syndrome and because it requires me to constantly get scans to make sure that I don't have any cancer trying to develop. Um, I went in for my annual scan uh, in December of 2019, and they found a few spots that turned out to be cancer again uh, in my breast. So I uh, got a nice Christmas present that year of another round of, of um, treatment planning and we got started with treatment that very next year. Well, because I got diagnosed um, so quickly after the first time, we were like, hmm, we really, need to, we really need to get a second opinion on this. We really need to see what people are doing be with Lee-Fermini syndrome because it is so rare. Um, so 
we went to Sloan Kettering in New York and we met with their medical team. They uh, recommended a completely different treatment plan than the one back home in Georgia. Uh, and so we looked at all the evidence. We looked at our pros and cons list and we we tried to figure out what, what shark we wanted to fight that was closest to the boat and made some, again, difficult decisions, had hard conversations about how to, you know, to, to continue with treatment um, and opted to do chemotherapy again, as well as what's called proton beam therapy. And it's a type of radiation. And people who have Lee-Fermini syndrome are not supposed to have radiation because it actually causes more cancer. So the first time I went through cancer, I didn't have radiation for that reason. But since it came back so quickly, um, we wanted to make sure that we wouldn't have a, a cancer again in two years. We wanted to maybe make it five years or 10 years or whatever. So um, we opted to have proton beam therapy, which is a, um, a safer way to do radiation. Uh, we made plans to become New Yorkers for six weeks and, you know, uh, had, had the plan to, to do chemotherapy and have surgery again and all that stuff. And then good old COVID-19 happened. So that put a, put a little um, kink in our chain and, and we had to reevaluate yet again uh, what we were going to do. So uh, when we went and got our second opinion uh, in slow countering and made a decision to go to New York in the summertime, um, that was when we figured out that New York was getting just hammered down with COVID. I mean, just, I'm sure you saw the news and, and how horrible it was in, in New York. And we were like, we can't go there. It's just not safe. It's not safe for a high risk person to, you know, go in and out of the hospital every single day and, and all of that. And so we, um, we did some more research and, and met with another medical team at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. And their cases were very, very, very low. We met with their team, we ended up loving them, and um, they were on the same page that we were. They gave the same recommendation as Sloan Kettering did, and so we opted to go to the Mayo Clinic, and I'm so glad we did. They're such amazing people there. Um, they're, they're so great, they're angels, they really are. Um, and so we spent uh, seven, weeks in in Rochester, Minnesota. We became Minnesotans for a short period of time, um, uh, all during COVID. So COVID was just crazy. If, it, if those of you out there who are not high risk um, and, you know, have to deal with COVID regardless, but when you're high risk, it's just a whole other, it's a whole other ball game. It's so strange, but also scary, and um, you have to be very tactful on how you do things, and and uh, you have to be aware, and you have to educate yourself, and it, it was just really nuts. So, yeah. <laughs> I you know I can't think of anything worse than cancer except <laughs> cancer with COVID nineteen, right? Like if it's not enough to have a diagnosis, then to have to have it during this time. 
and have treatment in 2020 while we're we're navigating all of the things and like you said you know you were at, at risk and so yeah that that really does put a new twist on getting through things and being invincible yeah i had to really really tap into my booby queen mindset probably i would i would argue more this time than the first time um and the reason why is because I was by myself. I, I went to the chemo room by myself. I went to doctor's appointments by myself. I, um, you know, uh, took shots by myself, all of these things by myself because they weren't allowing anyone in, in the chemo room. They weren't allowing one in the hospital. Um, so had to do a lot of things by myself. And while I'm naturally an independent type of person, um, when you're going through a life or death situation, it's a little different. <laughs> you kind of want your husband around. You want your mom around. You want your, you want your people around and none of those people were allowed to come. And so it was, it was nerve wracking to have to kiss my husband goodbye before he dropped me off and um, to the hospital and have to do that over and over again um, was, was difficult, very difficult, but it was possible. It did happen. I was able to do it and able to be in community with other women um, and folks having cancer treatment in the chemo room just the same because they were alone too. So, you know, it, it ended up being uh, a, a good way to heal being with other folks that are doing this alone as well. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that we really had to take seriously in our house. We really had to, um, we had to put aside political views. We had to put aside our, our, you know, personal ideas about what we think this is or what we don't think this is. And we had to just, just rely on our doctors and what they're saying um, and what the, the research is showing. And so that's what we focus on, um, because if you get, we, we just couldn't, we could not get bogged down with all the, the politics of, of this whole thing. So, yeah, it, it has not been fun, Cami. It has not. It's been so inconvenient and just ridiculous. I mean, really. <laughs> I, I love how you just call it inconvenient. <laughs> it I know there's so many other words, <laughs> but yay. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're right. You're right. That is exactly what it is. Inconvenient. So Whitney, let's tell our listeners where they can find you. Yeah. Yeah. You can go to boobycrowns.com. That's my website. Um, you can find all the information about me, about my business, about what we're doing. Um, we are a one for one business where I make at booby crowns for women who've been affected by breast cancer and uh, for every crown that's sold I donate one and we donate to local hospitals around here um, I've donated to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota because that's where I got treatment the second time around um, so we uh, we partner up with with different folks uh, to to give them booby crowns so that they can crown women who who don't have as, as much support, um, who didn't have, I, I got lots of support when I was going through this and still do, but there are so many women that don't, um, they don't have husbands to sit with them and hold their hand while 
they're hearing this terrible news. They don't have a friend that can sit with them and bring them food during chemo. They don't have someone that can come and check on them and drop off toilet paper when they need it. They don't have those things. And so I want to encourage them and make them feel like booby queens. And, and the, the only, the first way I know how to do that is to give them a booby crown. So everything's better with a bra on your head anyway. <laughs> oh, I believe that. I believe that for so much. It is, it really does change. When you sent me your picture, I was like, look at her. It just makes some of the bad things go away. Doesn't it? it does. And you know, I love that you're making them yourself, but I know that's not your goal forever, right? Like how, you can't make all the booby crowns for the rest of the the time, right? So, no. what, yeah. So <laughs> I know you're, you're looking uh, forward to maybe uh, getting into an agreement with someone to help with yeah. manufacturing. Yes. Yes. I have big dreams for this business. Booby crowns is just the beginning. Um, I am making them. I have a, I've converted one of our bedrooms into a, a, a booby queen company office and there's bras everywhere and jewelry everywhere and glitter everywhere and, and, and all of those things. And so I, I do have some really big dreams for this business. Um, we, uh, we, we want to sell and donate booby crowns, but we also want to empower women. We want to teach women to celebrate themselves um, to, to realize that they are worth celebrating and we need to do it like we're Queens. Um, so the long-term goal is to get a manufacturer on board so that I can, I can produce these on a larger scale and I can crown people all over the world. Um, I've been able to crown someone in Australia, I've been able to crown someone in the UK so far, um, and, uh, all around the U S. And so, I'm excited. I'm, I'm hopeful and I am, I am ready. So, and I know the world is ready for my, for my booby crowns as well. So we'll see. <laughs> I love it. And here's the question. Does the booby crown company accept donations? So if we have listeners who are hearing your story and, and hearing about the booby crown company, uh, where could, would they just go to your website to find out more information to make a private donation? Yes, absolutely. On my website, there is a tab that you can go to for donations. All of donations go directly to um, for materials to make the booby crowns. Um, and I, uh, I use that money directly for that to, to, to make those crowns. So it all goes there. You can definitely do that on my website. I love it. That's so awesome. What a great, great thing that you're doing. So we're going to, we're going to shift now because, yeah. you know, on the She's Invincible podcast, <laughs> we, we share your amazingness and uh, just all the great things, but we also like to share behind the scenes. We like to share some of the stories that people don't know about you and about your journey in hopes of giving them hope when they're down and out that they could, you know, say, well, if Whitney O'Connor did it, then I can do it too. And they get back up and they chase their dreams. So we're going to start with the good. Could you share a story with us about the good in your journey? Absolutely. I have, I have lots of good in my journey. Um, you know, going through chemotherapy, going through the treatment part is not fun. It's painful. It's inconvenient. You feel crappy. Um, it, it's just not fun. So what I did was I had to make a decision. If I was going to do this whole treatment thing, I had to do it the queen's way. 
And what I mean by that is remember how I've told you about how I like to celebrate. So I uh, kind of created a bunch of little celebrations for myself. For example, um, I have, I had really long hair, Cami, like really long hair. I mean, down, down my back, long hair and all my life. And so I knew when I was going to lose, it, it was probably going to be a little difficult for me. So what I decided to do is I had haircut parties. I had three, three haircuts before I end, ended up shaving the whole thing off. I, I arranged for a hairdresser to come over to my house and I looked up some um, haircut parties or uh, looked up some hairstyles, excuse me, on Pinterest. And I was like, mm, I've always wanted to try that. So let me add that to the list. Ooh, I've always wanted to have a half shaven head. Let's see what that looks like. And so I had these pictures um, that of haircuts that I wanted to try. And so I, that was a good thing that happened, um, during my journey because it made me losing my hair way more manageable, um, and way more fun, uh, to, to handle. And so that is one good thing that, that happened uh, during my journey. That's so fun that, you know, you, you figured out how to make this fun. I don't know how, but you did. And how cool is that? Because how many people would just cut their hair off, right? And, and, and experiment, but you were like, I'm losing it anyway. Let me just have fun with this. That is yes. great. That is so fun. I'll, I hope that a lot of our listeners will take that to heart because that is, I've, I've heard people like just coming forward and shaving their head and, and their friends and family shaving it too in support and honor. Uh, but I've never heard like the party. So yeah. in this party, did your friends come too? Like did people so, come and were they part of this? So uh, my sister-in-law and my niece, nieces and nephews came to one of, one of my haircut parties one party was just me and my husband because my husband, um, he got a little jealous and he wanted to have his hair cut too. So he, he shaved his head um, in, in honor of, of me. And so we had some buzz cuts together. Um, so it was just the three of us for one of the haircut parties. Um, and uh, I had, I think my other sister-in-law for the, for the other party. Um, and, you know, listen, when I say party, you can have balloons, streamers, appetizers, whatever, or you don't have to have any of that stuff. It's still a party. It's, it's all about how you look at it. And so, um, we just, we just tried to have as much fun with it as we could. And this all ha you know, when you start treatment, your hair falls out within about two to three weeks. So we were having haircut parties back to back. <laughs> So Let's try this, right? Let's try yeah. that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. so great. That's so great. Okay. So now we have to talk a little bit about the bad. Sure. Sure. Um, when honestly, Cami, the, the, one of the bad things that happened was when I got my results back for my genetic testing, when I found out that I had Leifermini syndrome and really understood like what it was, what it means, what it looks like and started researching, started Googling, started educating myself about this diagnosis, it really wrecked me. It did. It, it, it really, um, it really sent me into a depression almost. Um, because I just kept thinking, oh my God, I have to do this again. 
I have to do this again and again and again. And it was just like, whoa, am I really going to have to deal with cancer for the rest of my life? I mean, I'm only, I'm in my 30s. Do I really have to deal with this crap forever and ever and ever? And so I'd say that was a bad thing that happened um, during my journey was, was the realization that uh, my time is limited. Now, our time, all of our time is limited. We don't know what's going to happen, you know, five minutes from now. Um, but I felt like for me, my time is really limited, you know, and so that realization about, you know, my mortality and um, facing death and, and facing it again and um, realizing that nobody makes this out alive. No one does. Um, so that was something bad that happened. <laughs> Not so fun. Yeah, I'd agree. That's bad. That's real bad. So, but I, you know, I love your perspective. I love how, you know, you get to choose, right? How you're going to sure. handle it. It's not really what it, everyone handles their, their obstacles differently. Some people just lay down and die and just give up. And some people fight to live their best life knowing that maybe, you know, it's not going to be as long as what they expected, but I love your, your perspective. And I think that I think that cre may create a longer life, right? And in not maybe not in years, but in just in memories and in moments and in in fun and in all those things. And I think that's important too. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So we've got to talk about ugly. I mean, this whole thing is <laughs> cancer's ugly, right? Like, I you know it just is. But um, but share with us a story, you know that had you down and out and you, you could have given up, but you got back up. Yeah. So obviously when I hear the word ugly, I automatically think about how we look. And the first thing that comes to mind was my boob job. I'm going to talk about my boob job. <laughs> first more <second>. boobs. <laughs> more, more boobs, more boobs. So I want to just make sure that everyone is aware too that a boob job and reconstruction are two very different things. Well, y'all, when I was having my double mastectomy, I thought I was having a boob job. I thought that I was going to have a nice boob job, a nice makeover. Now, again, remember, I had huge boobs. I had, I mean, I had to wear two sports bras when I played sports. I had to have custom made dresses when I was growing up just because they were so large. So I was ready to downsize and I was ready for them to be nice and perky and lovely and all that fun stuff. Well, that's not exactly what happened. And, 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 and I'll explain. So after my double mastectomy, I uh, had some expanders put in and uh, I had these huge scars that go across the front of your breast. And after you have a, a double mastectomy. And so after that happens, you have to follow up with the doctor. Um, I had about four surgeries. I had to continuously follow up with my doctor. He was checking and making sure that everything was healing right and all of that fun stuff. Well, after um, I'd say a year and a half, two years of reconstruct reconstructive surgeries and following up with the doctor, I go in to see him and he, he looks at my breasts and he's, he's looking at the pictures of, of the of before and after and all that kind of stuff. And he goes, 
All right, Whitney. Well, it was so great working with you and I just wish you all the best. And, um, you know, it was, it was great working with you. If you ever need us, you just call us. So I leave that appointment and I call my husband crying and I'm like, uh, I think my plastic surgeon just broke up with me. Like he, he's not working on my boob job anymore. And he, and my husband's like, well, Whitney, you know, it's, it's done. It's over. Your reconstruction is over. This is, this is how it ends. And I was like, this isn't a boob job. I got these ginormous scars. I have, I, I mean, they, they look funny. They're not, you know, they have dents in them. This is ugly. Like these aren't nice. These are ugly. And my husband goes, Whitney, you need to quit talking about my wife that way. And I was like, whoa, I, I just, I was like, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I won't talk about your wife anymore. And that really stuck with me um, after that, that incident. But I was so upset because I just had this vision of, of me being back to normal. When you go through something like this, all we think about is I want it to go back to the way it was, right? Well, I didn't look the same. I didn't feel the same. I, as a woman, I had these nice, large breasts to a woman that had these medium-sized kind of loppy, you know, breasts with huge scars on them. And so I was not looking forward to looking in a mirror every single day going, oh my God, those are it? That's it? And then the realization of, okay, these are these are battle scars. These are, these are scars that are proof that I am a queen and queens are not always pretty. Queens are dirty. Queens get messy. And I promised myself that I was going to go through this like a queen. Right. And so I had to check myself. My husband checked me. I checked myself and we don't really talk about, um, my boob job anymore. So that is an ugly story that I have about, about my journey and breast cancer in general. Oh, Whitney, oh, I can't believe your husband said that. I, I just, I felt like I just got stabbed <laughs> when you said that. I felt it. I actually felt it. I can't even imagine what you felt like when he said it to you. Oh my goodness. Wow. What a guy. Everyone yeah. needs her husband to, to be, yeah, to fight for his wife like that. Right. He did he even he, realize. No. And, and I forgot too, that I wasn't the only one fighting breast cancer. He was too. And, you know, he was a new husband. He was new to breast cancer. And I, it's so funny. I call him um, professor breast cancer because when I got diagnosed, let me tell you, he did all the research. He, 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 he watched all the videos. He read all the studies. He grilled my oncologist. He grilled my medical team. You know, we got second opinion, third opinion, all that stuff. And so he knows more. He probably should be actually the one that you're interviewing. <laughs> he knows more about breast cancer than I do. <laughs> well, has he been crowned booby king yet? Oh yes. He has a cape and everything. He has a he has a cape that has Booby King on it, and he takes his role very seriously. He is very supportive of my my Booby Crown venture and and 
what I want to do with these women. And he's all for it. He helps me make booby crowns sometimes when I'm feeling a little overwhelmed and I have a lot of orders. Um, he tries them on for me. Uh, he, he's a good, good sport and he loves boobs. So <laughs> that is amazing. Just such an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing that and just all of your wisdom and your humor. Oh my gosh, you're so fun. I, I don't know too many people who can make a fun of cancer and yet you figured out how to add some humor and to really be able to make light of it, which I believe is, makes it easier to deal with every day. And that's just one more thing about mindset. I think to add to your list is like humor, right? Like just laugh and live your life. And like you said, celebrate and, and have fun. And yeah, oh my gosh, girl. And if you, and if you have trouble, find, like find me on social media, I will help you come up with something fun to do. And I tell people all the time when they're trying to when they're weighing decisions or they're trying to figure out if they want to do something or, or whatever, sometimes I'll be like, well, if you had Leifermini syndrome, if you knew that you were going to get cancer over and over and over again, what, what would your decision be? What would you think? What, what would you decide? And that for me, honestly, was the catalyst uh, for me to, to really go for it with this business. Um, to really kind of go all in and and try to achieve this mission. If it works out, fantastic. I, I'm all about it. If it doesn't work out, well, at least I tried. You know, at least I tried. Um, I'm very confident that this is going to be a lot of fun for women and successful, and and um, we're gonna we're gonna change a lot of lives and give people a new perspective and and help them create their own silver linings. That's the big thing. So I'm excited. I love it. And we just need to spread the word, right? And let everyone know what you're doing and how, you know, how you're helping and supporting women that are going through this. And honestly, Whitney, you are a gift to the world to be able to go through this yourself two times and share your story and help other people and making a difference in the world with your booby crowns. <laughs> and I, I just love it. And so for the listeners, um, all of Whitney's information will be in the show notes. So if you're listening right now, just click the show notes and you can find all the photos, all the pictures, all the social media and all the links to her. And I don't know where you are in your life right now or what's going on. Maybe you're face down on the ground right now. Get back up, girl. Get back up. You can do it. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. If you were inspired or learned something new, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a review and share us with your friends. For more information about me and how I can support you, please stop on over to my website at camilehman.com and book a free call with me. I'd love to meet you and learn more about how I can support you. 